If ads give you a pain in the nads or the nadettes, join us now on our new subscription model on Apple. It's all ad free. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is podcast time. John and I were having a discussion about growing old and he was saying, I don't want to grow old. And I said, don't worry, you have an open hell of getting there. <laughs> <laughs> so take it as it is. Take it as it is. We will not discuss our ailments and our all sorts of pains and aches. Well, but your, we, your, your name is already down for a hip replacement. Two and, hip replacements. And, and a knee replacement. The, the, the dodgy knee, it's all yeah. gone. No, no, it's all, that was from being athletic. From indeed, being athletic. I don't think we'd actually call five-a-side soccer <laughs> athletic. Anyway, how are you doing there? I hope all is well. John and I, I just had a fantastic weekend in Inishman. We're going to bring you the podcast on Thursday. The uncrack. The uncrackaging. Oh, the uncrackaging. I was thought, on a simul ishae on Inishman. Look at the head of JM. <laughs> By the way, JM is here, the French Canadian. Can it understand anything? No, we on crack there. And we'll talk to you, De Derding, Fween Crack, a V on a Guinness man. August Oit Simul, Och Gamormor, Oit Cardule, Fishid on a Cardule. Very friendly people, great fun. Anyway, talk about. Let us. Arrive, live. Exactly. Arrive, live. Lanamige, arrive. John, you know it's this this week, Doki Book Festival yes. on sale. Doki yes. Book Festival yes. 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 dot org. The program is out. I was just looking through it there, actually. and it's kicking off with the David McWilliams podcast. <laughs> what other way could you kick off an amazing exactly, festival? Exactly, exactly. It is six o'clock Thursday, the sixteenth of June, which is Bloomsday. Uh-huh. We will be kicking off the book festival with a live podcast. Then, and actually, you know, our guests are going to be Leah Ippi. She's just written a book about living in Albania, living under Stalin. Fantastic book. And you know the fascinating thing she says? Living under Stalinism as a kid was fine. Really? It wasn't so bad. I mean, she's what she's doing, she's pushing back against this idea that our experiences as kids were so fantastic in this part of the world and theirs was so awful. She's saying, hold on a second, there's a hell of a lot of good to be said around Living. Does her parents feel the same? I don't know. I didn't ask them. We can ask her on the. Ask will, but on that day, we also have Simon Sharma on Bloomsday. The historian. Yeah, the historian, the classicist, 
the art historian, the whole thing. Going to be really interesting. And also on the Thursday, do you remember we did an event or we did a gig with Matt Ridley on yes. where COVID came from, the idea of whether or not it was a lab leak? Now, That's fascinating. Right. He did a big investigation. He did a big investigation. But fascinating because of what's happening in China now. Because we think COVID, you know, okay, we're all vaccinated. We're you had yeah. it. We're kind of done. Right now, China is in massive lockdown. And he's going to be on with Luke O'Neill. Oh, and it'll be interesting to see, like, the medical establishment, the medical view versus his view. Where did it come? I think that's going to be fascinating. We've got all sorts of interesting characters coming. Fiona Hill, do you know her, John? I know the name, yes. She used to be UN. She was a US. She's, she's the woman who brought down or took down Trump at the Capitol Hill Inquiry about two years ago over, she was the special advisor on Russia and Ukraine. She is English, but she's deep in the American establishment. And when Trump was trying to frame Joe Biden's young fella... Yeah, where's Hunter's laptop? (laughs) And it suggests that the Ukrainians were part and parcel of a conspiracy. She just went to Capitol Hill and said, no, you're talking through your hole. Yeah. Also, she's somebody who's negotiated and met Putin 11 times. So it'll oh, be fascinating. Be, She's yeah, going to be good. Be great. Then we've got old friends, Paul Howard, Ross Carroll Kelly's coming back. We have lots and lots of highfalutin. Annie and, Mack, I'm yes, interested in. Yes, Annie Mack, yeah. She, yeah. Interviewed by Tara Flynn. So basically, we've, there's all sorts of stuff there. There's Douglas Alexander, Hallie Rubenhold. There's an amazing book called The Five, John, which is a book about the five women that Jack the Ripper killed. Oh, right. But it's fascinating because she says, Jack the Ripper, I've seen her talk before. She's The idea is Jack the Ripper, everyone talks about Jack and kind of fetishizes Jack and who yeah. was he and la la. She said, oh, who were the women? What was their story? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why don't we know anything about them? So she's done a forensic analysis of the five women. Fascinating. Wow. Fascinating stuff, yeah. That, that's fascinating. I mean, just in terms of actually getting that information. Yeah, it was it wouldn't real. have been a huge amount of information on No, it's real historian stuff. You're digging yeah. really, really deep. I love this one, by the way, Mark. Which one? The Chums. How a tiny Oxford elite destroyed the UK with Simon Cooper and James O'Brien. Yes. That'll be a laugh. That'll be a laugh, right? Yeah. So Simon Cooper has just written a book. Simon Cooper was in Oxford the same time as Boris Johnson. Yeah. As your man Gove and a couple of the other ones. And Cooper writes about what they were like and he didn't like them, clearly, when they were in the late 80s, right? And they haven't changed And he's much. basically talking about a bunch of tossers. Yeah. Who entitled tossers from Eton, who took over the UK and have destroyed it. And, of course, James O'Brien. Well. James O'Brien's just He's just brilliant. great fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've loads of loads of good stuff. So if you are interested, we've also got an entire Kilconomics. Kilconomics by the seaside. So we've got all the comedians coming down all the economists. We've got a great crypto one as well, John. Ooh. Yeah. Saviour, our complete scam, crypto, with Andrew Maxwell, you know, the comedian yes. in the chair. Is he a, a crypto head? No, he's just a clever guy. He's a yeah, clever yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the whole idea is you use comedians to make economics much more accessible, you know? Yeah. and like yourself, huh? Complete, yeah. Complete lack of expertise. So that is the Dorky Book Festival. DorkyBookFestival.org. Get your tickets and we'll see you in June. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So, Mac, actually, do you know what? I've just come from a school, Killer the Grange Primary School, because... What were you doing there? The six-class guys there, you know, 11, 12-year-olds, have their own podcast. Oh, sweet. And, and you... my sister, my sister Shelly teaches there. So she asked me to come in to have a chat with the podcasters. And oh, give that's a few really points. cool. What were they like? They were brilliant and they're so enthusiastic. But do you know what I thought was brilliant? What I think in general is brilliant about young people getting into podcasting and blogging is that they're finding their voice, yes. which is really important. And they're engaging with, you know, they're, they can see how you put something like this together and the news cycle and all the rest. And they're telling their story. I just thought it was fantastic. That's really cool. Were you just saying, look, this is how you do it and this is technically how you do it? Yeah, yeah, and they had a million and one questions. That is brilliant. They're 11 or 12 years old. And they're fantastic. That is great. I I just had to give them a shout out. But you know, the interesting thing is about finding your voice. This is maybe the most essential attribute that all of us can actually discover. Because if you think about all kids, and again, I'm really intrigued by this in education. Mm. When kids are very young, I'm talking, you know, up until about 11 or 12, they have their voice. They know, they say weird things. They're not embarrassed. They rarely, rarely second guess themselves. and They blurt it out. Yeah. And they have these amazing imaginations and they play these amazing games and they can reimagine themselves as almost anything. But deep down, is they have this voice. And for some reason, and again, I have no idea, I'm sure psychologists will tell us all about this, and psychiatrists, particularly psychologists, between the ages of about 12 and 18, you lose that voice. You become embarrassed by yourself. And the, those teenage years are so difficult, and that's what makes it difficult. So, so difficult, because you're, you're so unsure of yourself, and the world is such a big, daunting place that it's actually trying to find your place in it's, that. But the problem is typically teenagers, or not typically, in many, many cases, find somebody else's voice. Yes. Because they're afraid of the sound of their own voice. They're afraid of their own ego. And I mean the ego in the internalized sense. Yeah. And then many, many people spend the rest of their lives trying to rediscover this. And many people don't find their voice, you know? So I think, you know, when you're talking to 12-year-olds, it's fantastic because what you're saying to them is, 
Your voice now is legitimate and it's you. Yeah. It's what makes you unique, what makes you different. Yeah. And that's what gives you, certainly in the, in the labor market as well, that's what gives you your authenticity. Yeah. That's what gives you your selling point. And it, it allows you to build confidence as well yeah. in yourself, Completely. which is the most important thing, to be comfortable in your own skin yeah. and confident. And to have, you know, something to say, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And, and it, you know, somebody said that one of the problems with education or our, our particular education is it, it educates the curiosity out of people. That we arrive in school are at a certain stage incredibly curious about the world. Mm. And sometimes by the time we leave school, that curiosity has been educated out of us because we're given the right answer. Yeah. And we know there's no right answer. Or we're given the one answer, and we know there's always a hundred answers to various questions yeah. because the questions themselves change depending on A, who's receiving the information, and B, who's giving it. Yeah. So, you know, I thought that's lovely. So and that was Kill the Grange down the road. Kill the Grange. So it was brilliant. But, you know, and it actually links into what we're going to talk about today a little bit as well, because they're, through that podcast and through them kind of interacting with each other, and then, of course, the listeners, the wider, broader network, you know, yeah. is, is fascinating and how that network actually grows. So what are we going to talk about today? I, I quite like the angle. So, and it leads into that network economics. Yeah. We, what we're going to talk about today is network we economics. We got there in the end. <laughs> See what you did there? Circuitously around. You know, this is meant to be a really professional <laughs> offering, John. This is meant to be you and I having done enormous amounts of prep, enormous amounts well, of... It's like doing I don't like, know about you, Mark, but I do. Uh, you've been up all night, <laughs> up all night. No, we're going to talk about network economics, but also the power of networks. And the reason we're going to talk about it is because, John, of the two people in the news that this week have been Elon Musk and Vladimir Putin. Yeah. And believe it or not, I think they've got something in common. Go on. Both these men are trying to acquire global power, domination in yeah. one way or the other, right? Putin is trying to acquire power in a way in which we kind of understand, which is the traditional hierarchical power, which is a top-down command and control really, really tight control from the center. Yeah. Typically vertical power. And we see this going back in all sorts of historical cases. Musk, on the other hand, is trying to acquire the platform of power and the power of the network. And these two are completely different. So one is a horizontal power, which is the network, right? The other one is a vertical power, which is the command and control one. And ironically, in both men, I see a similar type of land grab, yeah. but using very different frameworks of power. And I think the power nexus between the vertical power, the old school power, and the horizontal power, the network power, is something that we're going to see more and more of over the coming years. Okay, Max, so let's explore both of these. Let's start with the traditional power, as, yeah. you, as you describe it. Right, so they're all economic, right? So there's network economics and traditional vertical power economics, right? So Putin's power is centralized. It's this command control. And historically, these things started from clans, right? So if you think about, for example, royalties and aristocracies, mm, yeah. they were just the best head kicker in the village yeah. at the time, right? So and they, they didn't have with, blue blood. They didn't have blue blood. No, they didn't. Really? Did they not? <laughs> exactly. But they, you know, they, were, they started as clans and then they morphed into kingdoms and then they became kind of what I would call inherited hierarchies. And you have them all over and every society has them. And, you know, that structure, that way of having a top man at the top 
and then having a sort of a vertical hierarchy. You can see it in corporations today. Yeah, You can see it in what I would describe as centrally controlled cults, like organized religions, Yeah, which yeah. is basically a centrally controlled cult with the top man at the top, and it's always a man. Yeah, It's never a woman, right? You see that in bureaucracies, you see that in states, you see that in armies. So it's that understood idea that there's somebody at the top. Now, in the Putin case, it's the big man at the top. Yeah. Now, historically, as an organizational structure, the reason this worked was because it actually saved time. If the big man made the decisions, right, it actually saved all the kind of internecine rowing as yeah. how decisions yeah. would come about. So it actually did save time, right? But critical to this type of power, John, is whether it's economic or political, is the power to punish, right? That's critical. Yeah. Okay, because that's what... There's consequences if you go against... disciplines everybody, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's dominated by these strong ties, right? Now, you see that in the Putin, it's a kleptocracy. So basically, what I would call is, it's a regime characterized by alfresco lickarsery. So lickarsery, <laughs> as we know, is bad enough, but alfresco is outside and in public, which is why you have all these grown men prostrating themselves yeah, in the yeah. Kremlin, right? Because they know that their way of power is proximity to the boss. Now, bad enough it is, is in the Kremlin, right? You see this shite in corporations all the time. Yeah, you do. This idea of, you know, you're kissing up and kicking down, right? Yeah. So basically, it's the same idea that if the global chief executives is, you know, you have to, oh, you're fantastic, you're great, la, 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 la. So basically, what you see is lick arsery al fresco yeah. in all these structures. It was like in the, in the in a company I worked for uh, a little while ago, when the CEO was arriving, an email would go around Uh Tidy your desks. Don't talk about Ooh. Dennis O'Brien like that, John. <laughs> was it Dennis O'Brien? It is, it was. I yeah. love it. <laughs> well, there's a great example, right? Yeah, there's yeah, a great yeah, example, yeah. okay? Which is why both you and I didn't last very long in those institutions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's in the... So, so just think about it. It's kind of old school vertical power. Putin loves it. And you know what's interesting? Loyalty is critical. Yeah. The problem is loyalty can be really blind as well. Because loyalty can morph into just telling the boss guy what he wants to hear. Yeah. So that's one type of power. That just reminds me of a meme I saw the other day, which was Putin. Tell me how the war in Ukraine is going in one word. General says, good. Okay, tell me how the war is going in Ukraine in two words. Not good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's that sort of shite, right? Yeah. But the network is much more... I think much more interesting, right? So the network power is what Musk is prepared to spend 45 billion of mostly other people's money, frankly, on, okay, in order for him to buy, right? And it's the strength, in the way that Putin is the strength of formal connections, this is the strength of informal connections, of acquaintances rather than alliances. And paradoxically, it can be summarized with this idea of the strength of weak ties, yeah. And I think this is interesting. So when we think about networks, we sometimes think about you and your mates, right? Mm. And you're bonded together by old, strong ties. And they can be very exclusionary. Like we were all lived in Windsor Park together. Mm. Or we all played football together as kids. Yeah. Or we all experienced all these various different things as teenagers. And that's what bonds us together. And that's our friendship is based on that, right? Now, those are very strong ties, but they're very exclusionary because they exclude everybody else who... Hasn't got those, right? right? So the network is the opposite of that. It's the strength of weak ties. So, for example, you take Twitter, right? 
you and I don't know anybody on Twitter. We don't know them personally. Yeah. But we're bound together by informal interests, right? Either politics or economics or maybe a well, political persuasion or whatever. And that's what allows the network to grow because the ties are sufficiently strong to make you aligned with somebody. Yeah. But they're not sufficiently strong to exclude everybody else. Well, and that's what it grows. It, it's, it's a bit like, and I've always thought that, you know, I have less in common with a farmer, say, in Tipperary than I do with <clears throat> By a, the way, farmers in Tipperary, you're very lucky. <laughs> if I were you, go on. But, but compared to a, another sound engineer or a podcaster or somebody who's in... In Belgium or somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely so, right. And, and, and that those ties are... As it's this globalization of interests and bonds. Exactly. And the network is the weak ties, but they have to be sufficiently strong yeah. to bring you together. Yeah. But this is this is what Musk is trying to buy. Because the interesting thing is, in the same way as Putin's power, vertical power, gets more fragile the further away from the center you go, network powers get stronger the further away, because they amplify themselves all the time, right? And it's also a kind of a casual power. So it's the very casual nature of this structure. Plus, in a network, every player in the network enlists another person. This is the critical thing. Mm. So you actually act as a recruitment agent for Twitter. You're recruiting people say, come in here, we've got the same general ideology, same general worldview, come on in. Facebook operates the same way. Twitter, all social media offers on this idea of, I'm going to enlist you. And that means that things can go viral. You know that expression? Yeah. And the way to look at networks is maybe to look at biology. The way in which, for example, a virus will actually go through the host system Why? Because every single host is enlisted by the virus to pass it on, which is why we sneeze. It's the most amazing thing. Sure, yeah, yeah, Is that the virus has figured on, how do I get from human A to human B? Well, if I can actually get them to project me from one to the other, I'm enlisting those fuckers in my amplification. Yeah, So it's, you know, viruses are clever and sneezing is the best way, right? And that's why, of course, COVID was airbound. Because because, the virus said... How do we how do we recruit these Egypts into making us live? So that's the way in which you know things can go viral and ideas. So in a network, therefore, in the same way as in a vertical structure like Putin's, ideas get closed off. In a yes. network, ideas go viral, and some ideas work and some don't. Yeah. And therefore, what is critical for the working of ideas are the hubs in the network. Sometimes they're called, you know, the influencers. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But and they and they talk about the stickiness of an idea, and that's what makes it go viral. Yeah. So, give us an example of some of this, Mac. Well, the best example I can find, John, of all this is Martin Luther and the Reformation. Oh, right, Martin here we go. Luther. Martin Luther, right, basically created the Twitter of his time. Martin Luther was a 16th century version of an unbelievable influencer, right? Right, So imagine Martin Luther, right? (laughs) First of all, Martin Luther wrote only in Plattdeutsch, which is the Deutsch of the street. Okay, so you've got Hochdeutsch, which is swanky pants Deutsch. And Plattdeutsch was 
the language of the street. Martin Luther also only wrote in bullet points. And this is really fascinating. Okay, yeah, that's a smart move. Yeah. Actually. So basically, if you see what Luther Halloween night, yeah, fifteen seventeen. Ooh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Martin Luther is dressed up, okay, at Halloween as a monk, <laughs> and he nails his points to the door of the cathedral at Wittenberg, right? But what did he nail? It wasn't arguments. It was bullet points, right? Yeah, because he knew that people couldn't read that people could only read very, very basically, yeah, right? and get the gist of what he's on Get about. the gist of what he was saying, right? And what he was saying was he knew that people were a bit fed up with the church. He understood that there was a lot of animosity. There's a lot of resentment. But how did he communicate? He communicated via the Twitter of the time, which was the pamphlet. Yeah. So the church communicated via books, and those books were in Latin. Those books took years to read and years to produce, right? Luther realized the printing press... Gutenberg's printing press, which was basically the internet. Yes, yeah, yeah. And he figured out a Twitter, which was basically using pamphlets. So Twitter were the pamphlets. And rather than write, he had bullet points all the time. So a bit like Trump, you know, he goes to capital letters. Do not do that, okay? Yeah, yeah. Sad. Yeah, but amazingly, amazingly, right? People understood what he was saying. Now, his thesis and his ideas, right, were reprinted in 1517, so many times that one of his lieutenants, right, a theologian called Frederick My Conscience, which is a good, good name. And this is a quote he said, hardly 14 days has passed since these propositions were known throughout Germany, and within four weeks, all of Christendom was familiar with them. These were Luther's ideas. Wow. Now, how was that, right? He wrote 13 big pamphlets. They sold over 300,000 copies between 1517 and 1521, right? As I said, he wrote in German of the street. In 1523, at the height of his power, right, there were 498 imprints of his ideas circulating in Germany with 1,000 copies each. Now, this is phenomenal. Luther, you remember you said somebody was on Twitter all the time. Yeah, Luther yeah. was on Twitter all the time. He was up all night tweeting away, right? Of all the imprints that were circulating in Germany that were changing people's views, Luther wrote 30% of them. He himself, right? Wow. So he was a massive influencer, right? Who was, the, who was the Pope at the time there? Oh, Leo X. Right. Pope Leo X. Big he, fat lad. But he was a bit of a dodgy geezer as well. He was from the Medici family. And, and what Luther did, I mean, I, 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 I actually remember this. It's burned in my memory from school. But his key point was to get rid of indulgences. Yes. That people had to pay the church for them to pray for their harvest or their mother or for their, their mother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the irony of all this, right, is that the technology that facilitated Luther's attack in the church was the printing press. Yeah. And what financed the printing press in the beginning was Gutenberg went to the Archbishop of Mainz and said, you know those indulgences that you have the monks right now, it takes about three days, I can print them all for you. Oh, right. So actually, <laughs> Gutenberg <laughs> nice. enlisted the church to pay for his things and then his, his, his printing presses. Yeah. His printing presses were paid for by indulgences and then Luther used them a couple of years later, well, about 70 years later to do it. But just think about Luther and influencers and networks, okay, which is the theme. Yeah. The printing press did what the internet promises to do. It decentralized 
power, and communication, right? So it completely changed the landscape of the 16th century. And because then the printing press allowed pamphlets, which were little one-pagers, mm. and those one-pagers could be read in pubs, in the markets, or whatever. So therefore, if you think like maybe one in 50 could read, somebody would actually, the town crier would get up in the market and say, I think the Pope's a wanker, yeah. and here's the reasons why. <laughs> and then what they did was they mandated everybody, and this is the network, to give their tuppence halfpenny. What do you think? What do you think? And then what they did is they actually wrote up the responses of Joe Public in the tavern Oh. to the thing. So they created this incredibly viral network. It's a really fascinating story. So it did turn into a kind of a thread, as it were. It, it, precisely. It was yeah. actually a thread. It was exactly a thread. So the entire Reformation was based on sort of internet threads, except they were in pamphlets. And because pamphlets cost very little to produce, yeah. the cost of production went down. And the more of them that were produced, the more the cost of production went down. And ultimately... This is the power of the network. And at the core of the network was Martin Luther. And then what he did was he created influencers all around Germany who would actually amplify his message. Yeah. And then, of course, the church responded, how? By writing books, rather than by actually attacking them in the pamphlets. Right, right. Because they said, well, we'll have to go through the archbishop or the monks yeah, and yeah. all this. And what you have is this extraordinary situation where Luther is writing, the audience is participating, the audience is then enlisting others, they're enlisting others, and the whole Protestant Reformation is the story of a viral network. So are you saying then that <laughs> Elon, oh, no. Elon Musk, being the, the new Martin Luther, could spark a new Reformation? Well, that's a leap. That's a leap. It I'm is saying, a leap. Ethan, yeah. I'd, say, I'd say what Elon Musk understands is the dynamics of the Reformation, mm. which is that with the right network, with the right connections, with the right hubs, with the right influencers, you can create a counterculture movement or a cultural movement, and the network is the very strength. And what it threatens is the vertical hierarchy. So let's come back to the idea. The vertical hierarchy, of course, was the church. The church yes, course, had never, yeah. ever, ever been attacked by anybody. The church had never, ever, ever understood the notion of guerrilla warfare, not on the ground, but inside people's heads. Yeah. So they responded a little bit like all major armies, command and control armies are, in response to a guerrilla warfare. They don't know what to do. Whereas the guerrillas, i.e. Luther and his mates, they decided what's the terrain we're going to fight on, when we're going to do it, how we're going to do it. So they completely transformed the notion of power. Because suddenly you get the Catholic Church, the Christian Church, the most successful multinational organization in the world up until then. From the fall of Rome all the way through to the Reformation, church was always there. It is taken down in Europe mm. by this crazy anarchic network set up by one fella with a grievance and a few bullet points. And that's what shows you. And this is what, I don't know if Musk is thinking like this, but this must be what he's thinking. This is the real source of power. This is where power resides. And then if you think of economic power and economic networks, all those social media companies are based on network economics. But, you know, what goes through my head when, when we talk about networks and Twitter and social media and all that kind of stuff and how we, as we 
said have more in common with people like us yeah. in France or Belgium or China or wherever, the stronger the network, the global network becomes, will that lead to a weaker nation state? I think that's, that's probably we should conclude there because I think that's that's actually where you do conclude. So the nation state is very traditional. It's based on yeah. strong ties. I am Irish. You are Irish. We are of a certain cultural background. We were born in a certain place. Those ties are incredibly strong. And by their very definition, they exclude everybody else, yeah. right? Whereas the network is saying, as you said, well, you know, the fact that you're Irish is kind of inconsequential. Yes. You're into music, you're into books, you're into literature, you're into art, you're into whatever. Whatever yeah. your, your thing Leeds is. United. <laughs> Leeds United. In fact, if you want to look, oh God. <laughs> the Leeds United website puts out a tweet every, every week on where Leeds have been watched around the world. Oh, really? Yes. So there you go. The really? global wow. rights, right? But it's all about who, who is dominion, who owns power, right? And you're absolutely right. So if you look at what's happening now in Ukraine, Russia is using old-style power. And the first thing it did was cut off networks. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. The very first thing it did was close down all these avenues for creating counter-networks, right? Yeah. So it basically said vertical power is the way we are. And horizontal power we're afraid of, so we're going to cut it off. The Ukrainians, ironically, with your man's help, Elon Musk. So you know he's got this Starlink thing. Yes. Which yeah, is yeah. keeping the internet open, right? The Ukrainians have been insistent on keeping networks open, on fighting the war online, on fighting the war of information, which is why the Russians continue to take away people's mobile phones as punishment yeah. when they invaded because they understood the Ukrainian network is as powerful as the Russian tank or maybe even more powerful. And your point is exactly that. It's the same point that the French had last week. So Le Pen was saying, it's all about a war between the patriotic French person and the globalist French person. Right. And the globalist French person is not really French, right? Because they, yeah. they could be, as you say, equally at home in America or Germany or Greece or wherever, right? Mm. So it is this battle. But what is fascinating, if you go back to history, is you see that the tension between vertical power and horizontal power is almost as old as power itself. And every time a vertical power base tries to exert dominion, there is always a reaction on a horizontal power base. And this is the existential struggle right. within yeah. societies and yeah. within economics. And usually it's always the vertical power tends to grab the power of the economy, which used to be agriculture or used to be gold and all that. And they say, we're going to set it up. And then what you have is a parallel power structure, which is horizontal. And interesting to come back to Putin and Musk. Putin has nailed his colors to vertical power and command and control. Musk is trying to buy the network. But the difference between Musk and the printing press and Luther is that nobody tried to buy the printing press. So the printing press was actually decentralized. Yeah. Because anybody could print. And then what you had is various countries tried to clamp down on printing because they knew that printing was actually the font of yeah. all anti-government protests. But what you have with these two men is an age-old battle, the battle between horizontal power and vertical power. But the thing that worries me about this is the fact that 
it's this battle now between, on a network, this battle between influencers and experts, where influencers are listened to more, the more influential. Well, it's quite funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you get the situation where influencers have no expertise and experts have no influence. Exactly. And that's what's happening. And as you're looking at the fifth most influential economist in the world with no expertise (laughs) at all, clearly. There can be moments when they fuse together. No, but you're absolutely right. No, but the last thing we should say on this also is there is a tendency towards monopoly. And that's the interest. Because the network creates a winner-takes-all dynamic if you own it. Yes. And that's where we have to be careful about someone like Musk, right? Because just because he can raise $45 billion, right, if he owns the network, then he elbows out other networks and other forms of influence. And then suddenly you have this extraordinary concentration of power at the very, very top. And he turns into a Putin himself. Because the only way in which he can actually protect his network is by making it private, which is then creating the alfresco arse liquory yeah. towards Elon that he actually argued against in the very first place. Absolute power corrupts, absolutely. There you go. Listen, if ads give you a pain in the nads or the nadettes, we're delighted to announce that we've a new subscription service on Apple, ad-free, two clicks, you're away. And it's all for the price of a pint, Mac. I know. Check it out on the Dave McWilliams podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.